Welcome to the Carpenter Queens podcast, your favorite queer stoner horror podcast, the show dedicated to the best and worst the genre has to offer. Finally, coming to you from the TCQ video store, the only fictional VHS rental spot where you can pick up the classics for only 69 cents a day. You can't kill me. I'm a bad bitch. <laughs> My name is Nicholas. And... I once got fired from Applebee's for chronic tiredness and bad phone etiquette. My name is Raymond. Oh my god. Explains why nobody calls back the store. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back to oh us. My god. Welcome back to the it show. So We're so sorry, everybody, for our absence. <laughs> Listen, we cannot believe we are finally back in your ear holes as we say hello from a brand spanking new episode. We have missed you terribly, our lovely, lovely listeners, but life just comes at you fast, and unfortunately we had to put down the show for a hot minute, and that hot minute was four months, but you know you do. <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. Well, we're back, and we're better than ever. Sometimes you sit down for five minutes, sometimes you sit down for five months. You never know what's gonna happen with the garbage <laughs> Look, like Nick said, life comes at you fast, and we are self-care queens. We will always put ourselves first. Sorry, not sorry, but... We also didn't want to put out, you know, like something that, you know, we were kind of just doing because we had to. So welcome back from the break. We are back and we are refreshed and we are ready to rip a movie to shreds. We have reformatted. We have reformatted our movies list, dusted off our registers and cleaned the shelves for our reopening for business. But before we can do any of that. We have some quick things to discuss. 2023 is looking like another wonderful year in the world of horror. So let's f talk about them. Uh, right off the bat, we missed January. So let's skirt back and talk about some things. Megan, mm. the killer duel that everybody has gone up icon, for. icon, bitch. Who <laughs> knew that a robotic killer doll was going to come through and dethrone the Babadook as a horror gay icon? Wow. I love that even if it's unintentional but the fact that when horror understands that they are catering to a specific audience they keep catering to that specific audience so once the minute that the queers got this they're like yeah cool crown it crown it because i cannot get over the social marketing campaign for this oh movie the God. fact that she was getting into twitter beefs yes. with chucky was everything and tiktok oh my god i can't you know, I think that was a big seller for at least myself personally. I we talked about this before uh, with the William Castle movies or and the Dark Castle movies, excuse me, um, with these gimmicky kind of shticks to get you in to watch the movies. I eat that shit up, baby. If anybody's listening, I eat that shit up. Hello, robotic <laughs> dolls doing flash mobs. Yes, amazing, yes. amazing stuff. You went to the premiere, didn't you? Yeah, um, one of our listeners, hello, Aaron, uh, took me to one of the premiere, or it was like a screening of Megan, and it was fantastic. I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous you got to be there. It, it's exciting stuff, everybody. I love when horror doesn't take itself too seriously. For a minute there, it was happening a lot. So it's so mm -hmm. exciting to just get like this breath of fresh air from like this black horror, black that comedy horror. horror girl. Mm. It's too much for the stomach. You got something to push all of that shit out. And um, this is exactly <laughs> what we needed. A palate cleanser. Uh, next up on the list is, I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly. Speaking of palate cleansers. Uh, Skinamar Inc. Is that, am I saying that right? Skinamar Inc. Skinamar Inc. Yeah, just like the song. 
Sure. Um, so <laughs> with this one, I've yet to see this one, so I don't want to put any biases on it. However, from what I've been hearing and what I've been understanding, it's all atmosphere. And mm-hmm. I am a sucker for an atmospheric type of movie, so I'm interested mm-hmm. to see what it has to say. Um, I am also a little worried about just the fact that, from what I've heard, the runtime, mm-hmm. good or bad. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've also heard very mixed reviews as well. I've heard great things that this is new, this is fresh, like it's it's atmospheric, it gives you the the feels of being a child and getting up in the middle of the night and wandering around a dark, spooky house. Spooky. Like, mm-hmm. um, Cause I used to have that fear of like running from my bedroom to my parents' bedroom in the middle of the night and having to cross through the hallway and it was creepy at night, you know? I, I get where this is going. I haven't seen it yet, but I've also heard on Twitter that this ran way too long, that this could have been like a 15 to 30 minute horror short and it would have mm. been just as successful. Um, but I've yet to see it. So I'm not going to, you know, that's just what I've heard. That's not my personal opinion. Um, but I too am very interested. Um, it's now on Shudder. So if anybody's interested and y'all got Shudder, it's on Shudder. I've been told to turn While out you can. all the lights, turn out all the lights and turn the volume way up. This isn't the first time I've heard of a movie doing that. So if you're turned off by that aspect, why? I like the idea of changing up your environment to better envelop you into the story. I did the same thing when I watched Hosts, also available on Shudder. I highly recommend. It's a Zoom Mm -hmm. call type of horror movie. It is so much better if you watch it in the dark on your laptop. And that is the only time I will ever suggest watching a film on your laptop. (laughs) (laughs) Just because it adds this whole other level to the horror film that you're watching. I can't suggest it enough. I agree. Um, But moving on, so we can continue on with our list. Scream 6 is coming out March 10th. Listen. We will be talking about Scream 5. I am fearful about... It's on the list. So I'm fearful of (laughs) what we're going to say. However, I will state that Scream 6, to me, to me, seems far more interesting than Scream 5. And it's not just because we're finally getting Kirby back. But it is also because we're just getting Kirby back. Um, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, I'm excited to see Kirby come back. I'm excited to see Jenna Ortega's com- character come back. I feel bad because I don't remember her character's name. I just know her as Jenna Ortega. Um, <laughs> and also, that teaser trailer, Mama. Mama. Ruthless. Ruthless. The distressed um, ghost face mask I'm kind of living for because that's mm-hmm. the thing to do these days is to bring back your your hero with a weathered looking mask. I'm Sure, let's do it because... That's what Scream is. It's referencing and it's so meta that, of course, it's going to reflect what we're doing right now. Sure. Um, What I wasn't expecting, what gagged me, was the violence and him using a shotgun. I was like, oh. Oh. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're going with a darker, dark-sided ghost face. And we're in New York. Oh, wait, no. New York, new rules. Sure. I'm hopeful only because my hopes were sh- completely shot down from Scream 5. So it's only up from here. Anyway, Evil Dead Rise. Um, holy f- balls. Holy f- balls. Holy f- shit. So, I, please go listen to our Evil Dead remake uh, review over on it. It's part of our second season. One of my favorite episodes. If you listen to that one, you understand that Evil Dead holds a very special place in my heart, especially the remake. And this one, I cannot wait. It feels so worth the wait to oh, finally yeah. get to see this one. Oh, yeah. this Is this by Feather Alvarez, too, or no? 
No. Okay. It feels very much like it. Um, I was gagged, bitch, and blown away by that trailer. And it's not even the final trailer. I am 100% here for this even like darker dive on Evil Dead. Totally here for it. I'm here for the demons. Here for the possession. Just, uh, yes, I will be there opening night. Oh, I will absolutely be there opening night. I have a feeling I probably shouldn't watch any more trailers or rewatch that trailer because I'm so worried, especially with trailer these days, that everything that is good and juicy mm, yeah. is in that trailer. So I'll I gotta see all shade. I'll tell you all shade that's happened with you and Megan. That's totally fine. That's totally, f it's not fine, but it's, it's I, get, I get it. <laughs> it's not okay, but I'm going to take it anyways. Speaking of things we love, our recommended rental is up. Our recommended rentals are a weekly staff pick. A film we either love, love to hate, or love to make fun of. You've never seen the film? Rent it from our store and come back for all the deets. Last week, we posted a lost tape discussing the original 1984 classic, A Nightmare on Elm Street. This week, we are beginning an eagerly awaited themed month. Last year, this theme month was a rousing success. Nick and I discussed one of our favorite periods in horror, the, the remake, remake Renaissance. Renaissance. To continue the celebration, we are talking Shriekwells, the sequel to our Scream Makes Month. Kicking off, we are discussing the wild and horrific remake that is 2010's A Nightmare on Elm Street. And now, our feature presentation. To no one's surprise, you can either <laughs> rent it or purchase this one. You cannot stream it anywhere. It is not available on any app. Should you? We'll find out today on today's episode. On Ricky Lake. On Ricky Lake. Speaking of Ricky Lake. Oh my God. <laughs> Ricky, if you're listening, sweetie, I am not affiliated. Okay. <laughs> Let's head on over to everybody's favorite. 420, what you smoking? Can you imagine if Ricky Lake was a listener? No. 420, what you smoking? What did you smoke on our first recording back, our first recording of 2023? Mm. I'm so stoked to be here. What did we smoke today? I smoked my trusty old sativa. Unfortunately, my plug only has one kind of sativa, so I got to make do, but it's okay because it's good. It's called uh, Animal Mints. Oh, I, I had that one last time I was there, wasn't I? Yes, Didn't it's I? very good. Gosh. It's a, it's it a sativa so hybrid, good. so mostly sativa, but it still has like indica undertones, so it's more than just like a head high. It's good. I really like it. From what I remember, the taste of it is like really sweet, as odd as that sounds. Um, mm -hmm. Today, I am smoking Tangy Kush from Ooh. my good old tried and trusty true craft cartridges. However, I got a new battery because I went through... <laughs> listen, everybody. The trials and tribulations the struggle. to get to get smoking is ridiculous. But I am here. I got a new battery. She's great. We're stoned. And I am... I am nervously excited to talk about today's movie. I want to know, Girl. how did you first watch this movie? I saw it for free. Funny enough. Did you? I really, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll never forget. 
because uh, I was I was with Edgar and, and Jazz and only my best friends. We were going to the movies one day. And I think you remember sometimes like outside the movie theaters, there were always people being like trying to give you free tickets to screenings. I forgot what we were watching that day, but I always ignore those people. Or at least I used to. And I was walking right by them. And then Edgar stopped. He's like, wait, that's a Nightmare on Elm Street. And I was like, what? And I, we went back. And they were like, oh, yeah, there's a new like Nightmare on Elm Street remake coming out. And I was like, oh. So we immediately signed up. And yeah, we got free tickets to a screening. And we were literally like some of the last people in there. Because I remember we got the last seats. And we had to sit down like in the very front. So the seats oh. weren't the best. But I still got to see it for free. Like before the general audience. So that was fun. Was it? Uh, 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 we'll see my your feelings for the end. What about you? How did you first come across this polarizing film? Oh God, you're such a dick. So I might get read for this. I probably will get read for this. Oh, you're we're both gonna get read. This movie was a huge stamp in my junior year of high school. This came out, we got this late. We got this at the tail end of my junior year. I was still in Germany, so because of the military base we lived on, we didn't get this movie till like five months after the U.S. did. Uh, but I remember the ramp up for it. I remember going to website. I remember going back in the early, early days of the internet and going to movie websites and checking out everything on almost mm-hmm. every movie that I became obsessed with. This was one of them because of the public libraries. Once I got wind that this movie was being released, I immediately went back, did my research. My friend and I sat there for a full weekend and we watched every single Freddy film from the very first all the way to Freddy versus Jason to get up and gear ourselves up for this movie. It was a huge deal. A a ton of my friends and I, we got super stoked. We all went to the movie theater to go watch this. And then immediately afterwards, I remember we were all so silent. And then for the rest of the night, all we did was either praise parts that we liked, but mainly (laughs) ripped apart this movie bit for bit. However... Since then, I've revisited this movie a lot, but I have not seen this movie in maybe nine-ish years. Nine-ish years since I've come back to this movie. Yeah. Because I used to watch it a lot because I was super obsessed with Freddy and I would watch a lot of his films. Okay, hold on. You were not super obsessed with Freddy in this one. Let's call a spade a spade, mama. You were too wrapped up in Quinn. Film. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You know what? Let's talk about it. Let's check out the VHS's special features and find out who made and especially who starred <laughs> in this film. <laughs> a Nightmare on Elm Street was released April 30th, 2010, with a runtime of one hour and 35 minutes, even though it feels f- longer than that. It, it is rated R. Long, huh? I thought it was yeah. just me. I think it's no. bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you want to really fight. Moving on to taglines. Never sleep again. All you have to do is dream. Welcome to your new nightmare. He knows where you sleep. Boo. Eh, uh, I mean, aren't these just... Isn't the first one just recycled from the original? Never sleep again? It is, but if you... Okay, so this movie is going to recycle literally almost everything from the first movie. So... Uh why not just use the tagline that we loved so much and we talked about in last week's episode of uh, if Nancy never wakes up, if Nancy doesn't wake up, she'll never wake up again. I would prefer that, but I also understand because this Nancy sucks. Anyway, moving on. Directed 
by Samuel Bayer, who up until this film would have music video credits to his resume, including Blink-182, Good Charlotte, Green Day, My Chemical Romance, and even Justin Timberlake. Ooh. And it Kinda, shows. I was just going <laughs> to say that. We, hold on. We were just talking about... Music video directors? Music video directors transitioning over to horror. Or, or, or just that- film in general. And I always say David Fincher comes to mind. That was, for me, that's most prolific. Madonna music videos. Hello, how do you go? Madonna music videos to films? That's insane. Um, This. (laughs) Blink-182, Good Charlotte, Green Day, My Chemical Romance, and JT. I would not list any of those on my resume. I would. Green Day and My Chemical Romance? I feel like those are good ones. But anyway, this would be his only big directorial film he never did anything big after this and we're gonna discuss why moving on to our script with the screenplay credits going to both wesley strick and eric heiser strick would be known for his screenplay for the films cape fear arachnophobia and the glass house i love love you love the glass house yes if y'all have never seen it it is a great kind of like thriller it's great what's her name the mom. Diane Lane. Come through. Oh, shit. Oh, there was more. I stopped there. <laughs> well, Heiser would write the sequel slash reboot film, The Thing, Lights Out, Arrival, and Bird Box. Wow. I don't know about the reboot for The Thing. What happened? Okay. <laughs> I'm just We're going to... Okay. Okay. Listen. These films are fantastic. Cape Fear, Arachnophobia, Glass House, Lights, mm-hmm. Lights Out was fine. Arrival, which was Oscar nominated, mm-hmm. and The Bird Box was fine. It was fine. I Everybody watched Box. it during COVID. Admit it. What happened here? My feeling is that this is Platinum Dune produced. This uh-huh. is during that time period where things were just turned out. Michael Bay. Ugh. Oh, Jesus. Gross. Enough said, right? Uh-huh. So, like... Things got lost here because in essence, even with Samuel Bayer as the director, I think probably could have done some really great things, but they just stuck too close. They both stuck too close and steered too far away from the source material that it gave nothing. It it didn't give it like enough room to like breathe and be its own thing. Yeah, I agree. Also like Alti Alshay, they just did not cast great actors. It's not realistic. Speaking of actors, do you want to talk about them? Speaking of our actors, let's move into the cast. We have the girl with the dragon tattoo, Rooney Mara, as <laughs> Nancy Holbrook. A terrible, ter- okay, well, I'm just, we'll get into it, I guess, but a terrible final girl. <laughs> <laughs> we have, oh, how dare you write that into the outline like that? Jackie's favorite actor in the world, Jackie Earl Haley as Fred Freddy Krueger. We're just going to take a moment to address the elephant in the room right now. The burned elephant in the room. The burned guinea pig in the room. Jackie Earl Haley makes choices with the character of Frederick Krueger. Just kidding, it's not really his name. But it just, <laughs> it, 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 whoo. In my opinion, only Robert England can do Freddy Krueger. Unfortunately, this does not deliver from in my opinion in any way shape or form none of I don't it think so either none of it I, other than like the striped sweater the hat and the then the claw read freddy krueger to me 
we're going to talk about the makeup design in a little bit, but I do want to talk about Jackie Earl Haley. I can understand why they picked him. Um, we'll go into the history about it, but Rooney Mara and Jackie Earl Haley, and unfortunately Kyle Gallner, who, uh, everybody in this movie, including Connie Britton, just feel like they're reading lines. Yeah. There is no life to what they're de- what yeah. they're doing, and that that's probably due to direction. Maybe, I'm sorry, yeah. but that you something because a lot of these players are fantastic actors. Rooney fucking Mara, Connie Britton, outside of this film, <laughs> outside of this film, they're fantastic. The only one who delivers for me um, is TCQ alumni Katie Cassidy, the remake royalty herself <laughs> as Chris Falls. TCQ alumni and my boyfriend Kyle Gallner plays Quentin Smith. They're the only two that kind of deliver things for me, but mm-hmm. everybody just kind of got the direction of you need to act like you're on Ambien. I'm, okay. Sure. Honestly, they were like Pearl sleepwalking through the whole movie. It's really bad. It it's is. It's really bad. It I, weighs it down. I'm gonna, for now, until... We'll probably have a revelation throughout this podcast. You never know. For now, I'm going to chop it up to maybe it being bad direction. Um, I feel like the director's... I mean, that's his job. The director's job is to like really bring this cast together and really hone the actor in on, like, this is what we're bringing. This is what this scene is about. This is what you need to deliver. And You, I, you mean direct them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and honestly, I think all TLC, they were just too used to just doing music videos, which really doesn't take a whole lot of emoting, you know? Mm-hmm. But, no, I think you might be right. Um, who knows? Um, continue on with the cast. <laughs> um, so you already mentioned uh, we have Kyle Gallner as Quentin Smith, who would also go on to star in Scream 5, as well as many other Ugh. films. But I only mentioned Scream 5 because he's now been in A Nightmare on Elm Street. He's gone up against Freddy. He's gone up against Ghostface. And he was open on Twitter about going up against Michael next. Or even uh, or even Jason. So I'd, I'd gag. Please, 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 somebody cast. Him. I'd gag. I'd gag for him and on him. I, I, yeah, I would not gag. I'd need to prove myself. Anyway, <laughs> sucking dick and cock. Moving on to Scream Cream royalty, Katie Cassidy as Chris Fowles. We last mentioned her in Black Christmas. Black Christmas, and she's a great screamer. We also have Thomas Decker as Jesse Braun. Kellen Lutz as Dean Russell, uh, Clancy Seriously. Brown as Alan Smith, Connie f- Britton as Dr. Gwen Holbrook, even though she does kind of a meh job here, uh, so Leah meh. Mortensen as Nora Fowles, Kurt Nybig as Mr. Russell, Jennifer Roberts as Mrs. Russell, Christian Stolt as Mr. Braun, and TCQ alumni and remake royalty, Aaron Yu as Marcus Young. And he was also in our Friday the 13th remake. Hello, we have this two alumni. We have three alumni. Who's the other alumni? Kyle, Cassidy, and Aaron Yu. That's that's three. You can count. You can do it. Can I? I'm going to tell you what I don't do. I don't know shit. I don't get stuff. And I don't understand things. We'll talk about the rest of the cast. Uh, let's move on to Ray's favorite. Review. 
IMDb gave it a 5.2 out of 10. Uh, Metacritic, it averaged a 35 out of 100. Our friends over at Letterboxd gave it a 2.1 out of 5. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it got a 14% on the tomato meter and a 43% audience score. That audience score is surprisingly high. How I feel about that Rotten Tomato score is also how I feel about the Amazon score. I rented this because I will not own this movie. Um, we will rent it the out. The reviews though. on Amazon are four and a half. Ew, Michelle. Four and a half out of five. Out of how many reviews? Out of a thousand. <gasps> Shut up. Shut I up. I smell a stunt. I smell a stunt. I who, smell a who stunt. Who were the fangirls that were like, we're going to bomb the Amazon reviews and give it oh like, my the God. highest rating? Stand up. If you're going to be a rowdy, tatty, bad, bad bitch, stand be up and be it. one. No, man. No. Not my Freddy. No, I. I agree with these scores. I will state this is still better than Freddy's Dead. I will state that within the film canon, this isn't the worst Nightmare on Elm Street. No. However, the biggest reason as to why, and I'm going to keep referring to this and I apologize. Actually, I don't. It tries so hard to imitate the original and pay homages to the point where it is just completely rehashing things from the first one Mm -hmm. while putting on things of like the 21st century Mm -hmm. that it completely pales in comparison because you are just doing almost a shot for shot remake remake here. You know what I mean? So it's just... Looking at you, Gus Van Sant. I, I knew you were going to bring I it up. I agree, because it's another terrible remake that shot for shot that didn't work. Um, I agree. It, it didn't bring anything new to the table. I, it I, tried to do something and bring something new to the table, and I'm going to really complain about it. it. It's what they add to Freddy's story, and mm-hmm. it does nothing. Yeah. But let's time to find out how this movie was made when we head into the behind-the-scenes featurette. We have a budget of an estimated $35 million and a box office gross worldwide income of $115 million. This would go on to be the highest grossing nightmare film in the entire franchise. I believe it. This is during I do too. the remake Renaissance Mama. And then, and then you get a big name like Michael Bay to produce it. And then you have great content like... Freddy Krueger. It was a recipe for success. It was. But it did not deliver. It really didn't. It really didn't. But let's discuss it. So by the late early 2000s, horror remakes were the hot commodity. The newly minted horror house Platinum Dune Productions set their sight on the next horror hit. With a string of remakes under their belt like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the Amityville Horror, and Friday the 13th, it was only a matter of time until the Nightmare series was ripe for its own resurrection. In 2008, Michael Bay and producer Brian Fuller had stated their interest in the series and wanting to steer clear of the wisecracking Freddy Krueger and return the series to its horrifying roots. Instead of utilizing the same storytelling technique from their remake of Friday the 13th, the production team would not pull from the entire series, but instead focus on what makes Kruger terrifying. For the film, Sam Bayer was hired to direct and stated with his approach for the film, quote, I wanted to create a film in a darker world that made the audience ask, what makes a monster? Is it a monster because of its physical appearance, someone with a scarred face and a clubbed claw, or is it a monster because of something deeper within the man himself? I need to say, Samuel Bayer, you didn't even answer that fucking question. <laughs> Honey, you've got a big uh, storm coming. 
Did he? Look at me. Look at me in my one good eye. Not the lazy eye, the good eye. Not the lazy no, eye. The, don't look at the glass eye. He didn't. He didn't. Everybody well, knows he didn't, Jackie. Why are you asking redundant <laughs> questions? Everybody knows he didn't deliver. Okay. Well, because you had the the gall, the nerve, and the gumption to stand up here and say, we're going to go into like the psyche of Freddy. But you didn't. You actually didn't. What you did was just play with a really harmful rhetoric here and d- did some really like dark things to be dark sake and it did yeah. nothing because he's already a child killer why did that's already him a bad child molester as well like i understand that they pulled that from wes craven's like original thought of freddie but even wes understood he's already a killer i that's can put enough. this down <laughs> yeah enough <laughs> I, I agree. It was, I, it really was like icky. I remember watching and I was like, mm, ill, Michelle. Like, why? Mm-hmm. I'm all for killing children. You don't need to touch them, too. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> we'll discuss it, especially in the story beats, because pff, I was typing a mile a minute. <laughs> oh, girl, her keyboard was smoking. <laughs> It must be stated, however, that Wes Craven, the original writer and director, was not consulted for the remake. In an interview with IGN, Craven had stated he was hurt by the production of the remake and, quote, It does hurt. It does because it's such an important film for me that, unfortunately, when I signed the original contract, I gave up all rights to it, so there's nothing I can do about it. I don't even know who's doing it, and I'm not interested. It's actually really painful to think about it. It's the film of mine that I probably love the most, and which made the most money. The script went around Hollywood for three years, and nobody touched it. And I went through all of my life savings and everything else to pay for it, so I had to make the deal I did. End quote. And that just goes to show you what the master, one of the master of horrors has to feel about it. Say about it. It's... It, it says it right there for me. It sucks. It's just money, 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 money. I cannot believe that they would not even ask for his permission, ask for his good graces, run anything by him. That is his movie. Because he was still... He enjoyed the remake of The Last House on the Left. That was another part of the remake renaissance. Mm-hmm. And that was his first film, so it was a big deal for him. So he still gave some blessings to it. Why wouldn't you do it with the, especially this one out of all of them know. to remake? Ooh. I don't know. It's a slap in the face. It really is. As production moved forward, the number one question on fans' minds was who dared fill the shoes of one legendary Robert England? England had been up to that point, the only person to play Freddy in the eight previous films. At first, the studio wanted to cast an unknown actor in the role, but people on the internet had begun to suggest an actor to use the razor blade glove. That actor would be Jackie Earl Haley, who had impressed the production with his performance in Little Children, and especially his screen test as Rorschach for Watchmen. Rooney Mara had also snatched the role of Nancy Holbrook for the film. Interestingly, Rooney Mara had been contracted for a sequel and Haley had been contracted for three films. None of those films would come to fruition. (laughs) I wonder why. Oh, bitch. That's what's fascinating and I really want to talk about it just really, really quickly. This movie was the most moneymaker out of any of them in the whole franchise, but they still knew that the uproar and negative reactions to this film was not enough to still do a sequel. Mm -hmm. And that surprises me because most productions would not give a fuck and still push out a sequel. I think they really knew that they had fucked up. I think they really knew that they had upset not only Wes, but like, 
fans because like you said like this made its money back this was a huge hit for them this was at the tail end of the remake renaissance and so you're right they were still signed on for additional movies but i think they heard the backlash and how fans were really upset with Jackie Earl Haley's interpretation of Freddy and I think they knew if they had pushed forward with a, a sequel that nobody would show up for it like it probably wouldn't even have made its money back yeah yeah and you pushed your luck with this one so why push it again <laughs> exactly some of the more controversial aspects of the film deal with Freddy Krueger. One portion of contention is the confirmation of Krueger being a child predator and the darkness behind it. But in the other portion is the way Freddy looks. The production team wanted to accurately resemble a burn victim when it came to Krueger's redesign. The team would use a conjunction of CGI and special effects makeup. It would take the production six hours originally to apply Kruger's makeup. The team, led by Andrew Clement, would streamline the process and take about three and a half hours every day with four hours needed if a full bald cap was applied in certain scenes. They would also utilize two different contacts, one bloody and one cloudy. Both made it difficult for Haley to see. According to Haley, the process would aid his performance and he would state, quote, Sitting in the makeup chair for three hours, after that, yeah, you would feel like you want to kill someone, end quote. Girl, same. But let's 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 fuck. We have to, Jackie. We have to. No, I know. The I'm design just saying that this makeup is terrible, and that's no disrespect. Your makeup is terrible. <laughs> that's no disrespect to the makeup artists themselves, because the like the actual like technique and the process, like everything about it, is a hundred percent what they did is great. It's just not great for Freddie. No, it's not. And I want to state that it's because. Originally, Freddy's design, yeah, he was a, a burn victim, but it was exaggerated. His nose stretched out, his brows arched, mm -hmm. his ears almost had this pointy elven energy to it. So he has a malicious character design built into his into his design. So if you just completely burn everything, he ain't got no nose. He looks like a thumb. Yeah. <laughs> a thumb with a hangnail. He had no nose, <laughs> no ears. Um, I just, I, no. Just no lip. No, just no. For me, Robert England, just in his face alone, already had so much character that it, no. Just no, it didn't work for me. I'm sorry. Uh, no disrespect to the makeup artist. Y'all did a fantastic job, but it's a no for me, dog understandable but let's move on to my last bit of information and i find it a little interesting because it also tells of the time period lastly according to reports warner brothers suggested nightmare on elm street be released in 3d in order to cash in on the recent boom in 3d films at the time but thankfully the only correct choice platinum dunes production believes since the film wasn't conceived in 3d then it should not be converted into 3d thank god Last thing we need, this movie was already terrible enough on its own. It did not need a pair of 3D glasses to make it any worse. No, it really didn't. It what, truly what, did not. What's going to read as 3D? That means that we're going to have to like make, like, yeah, do the cheesy kind of reaching through the screen. Oh, a lot of blood. Yeah. There's already three, there's already animated blood in here. Don't get me started. Ah! Special, like, computer effects blood. But you know they're going to do like splash in the face. Uh, but that also makes sense to Connie Britton's death at the end of this movie. <gasps> Ooh, surprise. Spoiler alert. But let's talk about this movie. Let's go take some, I don't know. Hip 
Hypnosale. <laughs> yeah, let's do Hypnosale instead. We'll be right back. We'll be right back after these messages. Our movie opens with opening credits mirrored with preschool children playing. We settle in on Springwood Diner where lone patron Dean is trying to get his waitress's attention. He follows her through the creepy diner calling out to her, but she continues to wander aimlessly. He follows her to the kitchen where he sees pig carcasses being boiled on the stovetop. Just as he turns in disgust, he's jump scared by Freddy. He slices Dean's hand with his razor glove, waking Dean up from his nightmare. Nancy, his waitress, warns him that they're going to kick him out if he keeps falling asleep again. She clears his table and greets Chris as she makes her way over to join Dean. Nancy makes her way over to another open table by Quentin, Jesse, and an uncredited friend. They soon leave after Chris's arrival because Jesse is salty about their breakup. Back at Dean's usual booth, Chris expresses concern for his well-being. He hasn't slept in days due to vivid nightmares. He tries to explain that they're real. When he does, he spills his coffee all over Chris. When she gets up to clean herself off, Dean falls into a slumber. He's quickly snatched up by Freddy, who holds his steak knife up to his throat. The two stand at a struggle for control. We cut to a shot in the real world as Dean sleepwalks with the knife to his throat. Chris begs for him to stop. Just then, the knife punctures his neck and slices across his throat. Chris screams in horror, and we get a title card. Woo! Come through cold open. I'm not going to lie. I actually kind of do like the opening to this film. Same. Let's just start us off at the opening credits. Uh, creepy imagery of school grounds, mm-hmm. and it's all done in sepia tones. Mm-hmm. Total early 2000s oh, yeah. like vignette. Come on, absolutely. Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Come, through Come on, Hills Have Eyes. Come on, Amityville Horror. Oh my God, is it just Platinum Dunes thing? Oh Probably. my God. I do want to state we have played with childhood imagery with a lot of Freddy films, especially the ones that we've talked about. Please go look at our other episodes. Uh, Freddy's Revenge, Dream Warriors, Fred, Freddy versus Jason. Go. It's one of those, Jason, right? Jason. It's one of those, right? <laughs> uh, with this one, this one in particular, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. I love that we keep playing with an elementary school, that we play with that preschool. Mm-hmm. I really like that imagery. I think it sets the tone pretty fucking well. Agreed. I also want to state that originally the waitress in the dream sequence was going to be Heather Langenkamp, but she decided she declined the cameo. Good she job. knew what she she <laughs> she could smell it. She could smell it. She could it. smell stunt. <laughs> they were like, well, if we can't get Wes's uh good graces, we'll get Heather's. And Heather's like, no, I'm not signing on to this bullshit. No. But I also the only other fa- like fun fact I want to include here is that Kellen Lutz apparently actually stayed awake for three days to get into the mindset. <laughs> but my question is, then where is the actor? <gasps> what is Jackie? He's in Twilight. Did it pay off, that? Jackie? No, it didn't. Did it pay no, off? Not at all. Exactly. The same thing exactly. was achieved exactly. with makeup, you dummy. But whatever. <laughs> he still looks good doing it. He does. He's still very hot. But this is a fantastic cold open, in my opinion. This is what, like, Platinum Dunes, all these remakes did really well at the time, was to give you a mm-hmm. really good visceral cold open. And this yeah, was Yeah, Friday it. 13 opened really well mm-hmm. like this because it did that whole, like, first movie sequence. Mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw had... Oh, yeah, because it also had, like, that found footage mm-hmm. open. Yeah, you are correct. Yeah. Wow. Yes, 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 yes. They yes. really came out with the bang during this period, which I appreciated. 
Um, end of sentence. <laughs> but this di- the setting of this creepy diner. I love the flickering neon lights. I love um, how you know he's dreaming because he kind of sl- he slumps over and then the lighting changes in the camera. That's really creative. That's really good. I really dig the phasing in and out between reality yeah. and the dream world. They play with it a lot in this movie. Especially with what they... The micro-naps. We'll talk about them in a minute. But... I really dig it. You know what? I, I don't mind it at all. Even as they continue, even though Kellen Lutz slices himself in the dream. And then when he wake, wakes up, we're talking about a gash, people, like full across his hand. Mm-hmm. And he just takes a napkin to cover it up. And later on, he covers his face. And I want I needed there to be blood. But we just don't talk about it for the rest of the movie. This man is hemorrhaging at this booth. And nobody cares. These diners have anyway. super absorbent napkins, Jackie. You have no idea. <laughs> um, ah. But I like this whole Chris coming over to check on him. He hasn't slept in three days. He's talking about a nightmare. She looks amazing. It's pouring buckets outside, by the way. Holy shit. And then uh, what would you describe Nancy as in this movie? Alternative, outcast, misunderstood. Loner girl, artist. Depressed. I'm Raven. You're Acid Bath and Princess of the Darkness. And I'm Tara. And we're sitting here in Tara's room, rocking out to MCR and celebrating 2009 or the new year. At least that's what they're trying to fucking push here. Every one of these kids <laughs> are, major. are majorly depressed and it fits the tone of, this, of like the time period, so it's fine. But the biggest depressed and the biggest sad boy is Quentin. Oh I my God, here we go. Love. This is a Quentin Stan podcast for Nick. This is absolutely Quentin Stan podcast. Listen, we have talked about Kyle Galliner when we talked about Jennifer's body, and then I understand oh, he looks was... kind of gross looking Ooh. in that one. Yes, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Okay. 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 Shut up. It's like hot topic exploded all over his face. <laughs> <laughs> in this one, in this one specifically, it's just as bad as this one. Jackie, I had the biggest fucking crush on him in this we movie. We know. Let's talk about the. Let's talk about cheek. the fit. I need to talk about the fit. Okay, I'm doing it right now. This was the time period of like putting a short sleeve shirt over mm-hmm. a long sleeve shirt. Mm-hmm. Both mm-hmm. had crazy designs on them. The beanie, Jackie? The slouchy beanies. The beanie. Yeah, I, I know it smelled, but I would have... <laughs> <laughs> it was so sweaty, Jackie. It was so sweaty. He could have rang that thing out and he never washed it. He's just a hot, sad boy. But he wasn't bad. He was depressed. There's a difference. I was very much in love with Jim. Very much in love, and there's a difference. There's a difference. (laughs) (laughs) But we get get character work. Ooh. Ooh. That uh, Quentin is enamored with Nancy, and we even get the line of Quentin asking, don't you get tired of working here every weekend? She responds with, don't you get tired of coming here every weekend? Come through, (laughs) Nancy! Yes! I love Rooney Mara. Do not love her in this movie. No. It's... I don't know. I don't think it's her fault. I think it's the character. I definitely believe it's the direction. It's partially her fault, because I'll tell y'all, Shade, if she were a better actress, she would have, you know, done her own homework. They're all bottom. She famously stated that she hated this, that she did not want to take this role, and that she... Well, then she shouldn't have. She did it for a paycheck. Oh! But I understand. We get Bruni Mara as a sad Nancy. We have sad Quentin. (laughs) 
We have sad Kellen Lutz. We have sad, quote-unquote, bad boy Jesse that we also get introduced to. I'll come to him later. Ugh. I have words and thoughts. But we get Freddy's first appearance. Twink with the leather jacket. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> moving on! Moving on! <laughs> we get Freddy's first appearance. Uh-huh. How do you feel about it? They purposely kept him in the dark and in the shadows. Um, of course. Almost for the whole movie, to be honest. They keep him in the shadows. And then when he is revealed, you're like, put him back in the shadows. Um, <laughs> this is a cool little tease. I will give them that. Um, yeah. Because you can't give him the full reveal yet. They didn't even do that in the first movie. So um, you got to give him a slow build. And unfortunately, it builds up to nothing. It really does. I do dig the death. I really enjoy how Ooh. Freddy manipulates his hand. And the foley on this knife slice is... It is beautiful. In the whole movie, Jackie, it gets worse, especially with the deaths. The foley and, like, the blood is great. Those are, like, the great additions. They are great additions. And to hear Katie Cassidy's iconic scream, love it. Yeah, she's got a great set of lungs on her. Solid cold open, everybody. Solid. We flash forward to Dean's funeral where Chris is seeing things. She sees a young, blonde-haired girl toss roses into the open grave. She has cuts across her dress and is dragged into the grave, scaring Chris awake. After the service, Quentin and his dad, Alan, greet Nancy and her mom, Gwen. Alan offers his services back at school as well as the crisis center they're opening. Back with Chris, she's startled by her ex-fling, Jesse. He says he didn't know she knew Dean that far back as they admire a picture of them when they were kids. Chris admits not remembering meeting Dean until high school. She attempts to confide in Jesse and tells him, right before Dean committed suicide, he kept repeating, you're not real. Jesse chops it up to Dean being on meds and Chris not knowing what she saw. When Nancy attempts to validate Chris, Jesse shuts her out and pulls Chris away. Later that night in Nancy's bedroom, we get a horrible CGI recreation of a practical effect from 1984's Nightmare on Elm Street. Back at Chris's house, she attempts at learning more about her childhood, but her mother creepily shuts it down. That night, after her mom goes to bed, Chris sneaks into the attic to look for her old childhood photos. She comes across a box with a childhood photo, doll, and the same shredded dress she saw at Dean's funeral. Just then, she's jump-scared by Freddy and is awoken, screaming, in her bed. Such a pretty crier. Pretty when it cries. She is a very pretty crier. Pretty when That's why she kept booking all these movies. Seriously. So we're at Dean's funeral, and this is where everybody just starts falling asleep. Everybody falls asleep. Chris Thank falls asleep you. at the fucking yeah. funeral. Yeah. Mind you, she's sitting yeah. front row. I'm surprised she didn't fall into the grave. <laughs> oh my god, imagine. <laughs> the sleepy town of Springwood, Ohio. I don't, I understand that we address micronaps, but at this point, Chris has gone to sleep. At this point, Chris has not had an interaction with Freddy. So why is she falling asleep at this funeral? This just does not make sense to me. It doesn't. It's like a left out of field, out of left field, I mean. Sure, sure. She wakes up and she sees a younger version of herself. We don't find out until later. Mm -hmm. But I think that's an interesting aspect. I'm not going to lie. I do dig like this this deep-rooted history of how we're connected to Mm -hmm. Freddy, which is really slick until it takes the worst fucking left turn. (laughs) Yeah. But I agree. Like, we were getting the inkling of, oh, we're somehow all connected that we didn't know. And it kind of leads to something interesting, and then it leads to, you know, we'll get to it. Trauma. (laughs) I I want to address, when she starts talking to Jesse and she starts explaining what she saw, it is something that is constantly beat over the head throughout this entire movie, is this gaslighting thing that everybody in this fucking movie <laughs> does. 
even the good guys at one point are full on oh, gaslighting. Yeah. Uh huh. It it's it bugs me because nobody immediately believes Chris, but it happened in a public fucking diner. So would you like whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever? Forget it. It's so it. disgusting and toxic the way that Jesse comes over and she's like, no, no, you don't know what you saw. You don't know what you saw. And then um. Nancy comes over to try and validate her, and then he pulls her away. I was like, no, Miss Ma'am, you should not be in a relationship with this twinky little boy who wears a leather jacket. In her defense, she broke up with him before the movie started. They were not dating when this movie... But she knew. True, she knew better. True, but she's still she's letting... She's vulnerable. She's still letting him call the shots here. I don't give a She saw fuck. him kill himself, Jackie. She's like, oh... Your your bony, lifeless body. Put it up against. Me. Ew! What the fuck does that mean? But my favorite is Nancy delivering the line to nobody to herself. You have no idea what I've seen. Like ill. <laughs> Get so out of here! Is the worst line. It was, and then her mom just like pulls her away. She's like, <laughs> I believe you, sweetie. Come on, let's go. I'm gonna gaslight you some more uh. later. <laughs> nobody asks about my scars. Exactly. We move on to a really infamous shot that comes out of nowhere and is unwarranted. I'm going to keep saying that because oh it's my stupid. God. First of, I hate this wallpaper. This wallpaper is disgusting. It is no. the worst part of Pottery Barn in the early 2000s. <laughs> Not Pottery Barn. Secondly, this CGI is horrendous. So fucking bad. It's so unnecessary and forced. I understand wanting to do things like the original. But without proper setup or technicality behind it, it completely pales horribly mm-hmm. in comparison. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I can't believe that a practical effect from 1984 looks better than a CGI from 2010. That's insane. I can't. I don't How many under- times have we said that on this podcast? I, I don't understand why you would even spend the money to do the CGI on it. Why wouldn't you just want to do it in camera? That's something I would have wanted to recreate in camera. That's fucking sick. I think it's I think it's hubris. I think it's this idea of like we're the early 2000s. We can do so many things with computer effects now that we couldn't do. But nobody had eyeballs to see that this looked bad. It was just like we have to because it's the tw- it's it's the early 2000s. We've got to. We have the technology. Ew. Yeah, I guess. But I just want to state that this movie just wants to keep doing stuff that made the first movie really good. And this is a great example of it. Because in the original, Nancy was asleep and going to sleep after they talked about Freddy collectively as a group. Once that inkling was like placed into mm-hmm. her brain. This point, it's just Nancy randomly falls asleep. Sure, and we get this scary image. Yeah. So it's not warranted. Right. That's what bugs me about this movie is that they try to to adapt to things that aren't necessary and they do things unnecessarily to things that were necessary. You see what I, I mean? It's just like they're missing both marks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree wholeheartedly with all of that. And also this whole, I, oh, I can't with... The mom trying, with all the parents essentially trying to hide this deep dark secret, but doing, doing it horribly. Like the way she like closes the door and the way she tries to brush it off, and it gets even worse later with Chris and her mom. Oh yeah, we're with Chris and her mom, and when she's trying to discover things with her attic. At one point, I think her mom tells her, "Oh, I don't know, sweetie. Just no, it's fine. Dinner's ready." <laughs> you might as well just said, "You're a fucking idiot. Ignore all of that, sweetie. I got dinner. Go eat up." I just, it's, 
It's really ridiculous the lengths that these parents go to keep the secret. But in 1984, it felt like it made more sense. Yeah. Is that just me? No, it's. I agree. And then from there, we go to this scene of her going into the attic and looking for stuff from her childhood because she can't do it in front of her mom because ooh, mom said not to ask about her childhood. And so she goes up Ooh, to Freddy's super, in there. She goes to the super creepy attic, and we get this really cheesy, unwarranted jump scare from Freddy, which culminates in her waking up screaming in bed. That's it. The end. The sad part is, you know how much I love to take notes on these things. You love how much I'd love to get at least the lines. The lines in this movie are so bland that there's nothing to take from. Yeah. Freddy is so boring. The script, mama. The script does not deliver. The next day at Springwood High, Nancy and Quentin exchange niceties before his dad rushes him along to class. We join Chris in history class who has fallen asleep again, and she awakens in a burned-down classroom with Freddy at the blackboard. He chases her around until he scares her awake, only this time he's given her a little haircut. Chris decides to take the rest of the school day off after attending one class and sleeping through it. She drives her VW Bug to her cozy little home on Elm Street. She's startled to see her dog sitting outside on the porch. Just as she's about to make her way into the attic to dig through old stuff, her mom comes in to tell her she's leaving on a red eye to London for work. Later that night, Jessie, her ex, comes in through her window to talk about their dear friend, Dean. She confesses now that she's been having these nightmares about a man with knives for fingers. Jessie confesses and says that he's been having the same dreams. That night, Chris, not knowing she's dreaming, finds her dog murdered in the garden. When she runs back inside, she's whisked away to an abandoned preschool. She runs into the child version of herself playing hide-and-seek with Freddy. She awakens in her bed after a jump scare. She goes to the bathroom only to discover she's still dreaming. Freddy begins to attack her, and we cut to the real world where Jessie tries to wake her out from her nightmare. She's lifted into the air and then slammed against the ceiling of the room several times before getting a fatal triple slash across the abdomen. Jessie sits speechless, covered in blood. He makes a run for it, setting off the house alarm in the process. He runs to Nancy's house. Wowie, wow, wow. So we cut to the next day at Springwood High where Nancy and Quentin are being awkward emo kids not knowing how oh. to let like, come on to each other. Okay, thank you for bringing this up, the emo the emo couple. He is dressed completely in different shades of gray. Ew, Michelle. I hate it, but I love it. Fifty Shades of Gray. Ding. Gray beanie, gray beanie, gray Joy Division t-shirt, gray cardigan, gray pants, and even gray Converse. I'm gray, da-ba-dee-da-ba-da-da-ba-dee-da-ba-da. I don't know what to say. It was the fashion of the late aughts, Jackie. It was hip to be emo, but not really. Uh, <laughs> mm-mm. It is now, apparently. I have a major complaint. The only person who looks like they don't get sleep, unfortunately, it's just Kyle Gallner because he just kind of has that face. He looks the same in this one. He looks the same in Jennifer's body, and he looks the same in A Haunting of Connecticut. I'm sorry, everybody, but it is the truth. And I, oh, but truth. everybody else never looks like they're sleep deprived, deprived truthfully. Like, Chris hasn't slept in days right at this point, and her visions are getting really crazy. 
But she still looks gorgeous. Well, gorgeous. yeah, it was in her contract. She's like, no, 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 no. We're not putting those bags under my eyes. I'm going to look flawless, honey. But she does get a really dope nightmare sequence. I love... This is really nice. I love the sequence of her falling asleep in history class because, hello, who hasn't fallen asleep in class? Uh, so she falls asleep in class, and it's so subtle the way she was just, like, flipping through the book, and she starts to see weapons of war getting more and more gruesome until she comes across Flit... I almost called him Floody. Freddy's claw, and she starts to realize that she's falling asleep. So she tries to wake herself up, and when she does, poof, everything around here like disappears, and all of a sudden she's in this burned classroom, and Freddy's at the board. It is dope. It is sick. I love it. It's really sick. But we start to hear more of Jackie Earl Haley's voice. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Who are you? You look just as beautiful as I- I'm. St- I'm still too good at it. I'm still too good of a voice. Jackie Earl is still down more. You look just as beautiful as ever. You have nothing to worry about. This won't hurt one little bit. And then she screams and she wakes up. It's bad. It's really bad. It's really bad. It's like, it's like Alti All Shade. It's like community theater does Nightmare on Elm Street. Just... I have to laugh. <laughs> the unauthorized community theater musical of A Nightmare on Elm Street, played by, I don't know, the principal of the elementary school. In Ohio. Girl, you're a joke. This is really bad, everybody. Uh, I had to write this down because I thought it was hilarious and I could not stop laughing. I put, John Paul thinks they look like a shark. <laughs> Apparently, we got Freddy's design just made them look, and they kind of do with their little beady eyes uh-huh. and no nose. Uh-huh. It's it just doesn't work. It worked up until he showed up. Literally up until he showed up. When she poofs and all of this stuff happens, you're like, yeah, this is scary. And the moment we see Freddy, it's just not scary. Because nobody's scared of a burned hamster in a sweater. <laughs> not a hamster! <laughs> it looks horrendous. I, okay, we're going to keep harping on the look and the voice. Let's just we'll state it now. Jackie Earl Haley does not deliver as Freddy Krueger in any way, shape, or form. I'm sorry. Not sorry. Is that true? It's very true. I'm not sorry. So I'm not sorry. After her little freak out in class, she's like, you know what? I'm going to take the rest of the day off and just leaves campus casually because, you know, that's what we could do. And she drives home and she finds her beautiful dog, Rufus, waiting on the porch. Wait, 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 wait. You have to talk about the It Girl car. The minute I saw that buggy convertible, I was like, oh, I know this bitch. I immediately know who she is. She's, that was the it car of the early 2000s. That was the it car. She was the princess die of Regan High and that pissed Courtney off. I killed Liz. I killed the teen dream. Deal with it. Yes, you. I agree. That was the it car of the... It, that car dominated the, the, the aughts. It dominated, unfortunately. And we're still seeing the remnants today. You, you couldn't be a hot, cool girl at school if you didn't have the buggy convertible. It had to be a convertible. Don't show up with that hardtop shit. If you showed up with a hardtop, you might as well just transfer to Jefferson. (laughs) That's social suicide. (laughs) So she drives her her little VW bug to her home where she finds her dog, Rufus, waiting on the porch. And she's all startled by this because the dog's not supposed to be outside, I guess. And this literally goes nowhere. This goes nowhere. Real fast. So she goes inside, she starts looking for stuff. Her mom's like, oh, I'm leaving to London because she's a stewardess. And so that makes time for sexy time with Jesse. 
And so he comes over all Dawson's Creek-like and tries to sneak in through her window. And then she falls asleep and she has a nightmare where her dog is murdered. So let's finally discuss the, the little twink that is supposed to be like a rugged bad boy. No. I, I, I don't I'm believe him as like him the bad on. boy. I don't believe him as her partner. I don't believe like he's too I don't know pretty what it and is. he's too little. He's pretty. He's got the. How many like, times have I? How many times have I heard that? <laughs> Shut up, little wear. He has the little ah! whiskey bangs. He has these like beautiful, like almond-shaped, colored eyes. In my opinion, he's just too pretty to be bad. I'm sorry. I'm not. You're not. I'm pretty. I'm not scared of you. You're not bad. better than me. Like you. You don't scare me. <laughs> you don't scare me, sir. You're not even scary. You're not even scary. This whole movie, all Chris does is cry, and I'm here for it. I love anytime there's like a consistent crier. She's a crybaby, yeah. She's a crybaby. I just also want to note that her sleeping shirt is a nod to Johnny Depp's t-shirt. It's the 10. It's got like the short arm length. It's not the same color scheme, but it is still like this version of the early odds. She probably got this, at, I don't know, Aeropostale or something. Ah! But we live, we laugh, we love to see it. Anthropology, for sure. But Jesse's response to consoling her is, just don't think about it. Straight man, girl. Treatment. If I hit, you deserve a Nobel Peace Prize. You, <laughs> wow, award winning. My anxiety, my anxiety's gone. <laughs> my depression. Oh gone. my god, why didn't you say that before? I didn't realize it was that fucking easy. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Once we go back into the room, we find that her dog has been murdered in the garden. When she runs back inside, all of a sudden she's whisked away to this setting of this preschool that we're going to continuously keep coming back to that I really fucking love. Mm -hmm. I think that this set is fantastic. There's a reason why Dead by Daylight took it as like a map for you to use in their video game. Like, I really think it's, it's, it's super solid. And we're building up to what I had decreed as my favorite death in the original. The original Chris's death Mm -hmm. is wonderfully iconic and up there for me. I want to know how you feel about this whole sequence because we're just going to keep redoing stuff from the original. I don't, this whole like dream sequence with the dog and all that I thought was kind of bad. Um, I do like the fake out cause they do it. They fake you out. Cause when you, when Chris wakes up from her nightmare, you think that Freddie's going to be there in the bed. It's not it's Jesse. She gets up, they drag it on for even longer. She goes to the bathroom. There's this whole thing. There's like several times where you think Freddie's going to pop out and he doesn't until she lays back down on the bed and then he pops out and you know you saw it coming but this scene this death scene of chris um this remake of the original death is a little more gruesome in my opinion the foley is great the additional gore i think is great um that's about it (laughs) yeah no i i can i can i can see that let's discuss it so i We'll admit that Chris's death in this one is, it's still pretty shocking. And that's what was so terrifying about the original. Because you really didn't know what you were in for, for A Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm -hmm. So this, that set the bar. Her floating and almost, to me, the best way I described it was almost like an exorcism-like death. Because at first she floats up into the sky Mm -hmm. and it's got this Mm -hmm. very, like, religious iconography of her being raised up and her arms are stretched out. Mm -hmm. Her being thrown around, it's its really hard, but it doesn't give me the same chill effect that the original had given me. The original felt so surreal and almost, like, unbelievable by the way that they shot it, of the 360-moving room yeah. and how she dragged herself along it. This one, it feels more like a ragdoll. Both are good, 
But it's hard not for me to pick the original as the superior because it was the original. It was the original thought. It mm-hmm. This one just kind of feels like we're going to redo it. That's it. We're going to redo have. it and we're going to redo it with technology just like everything else we redid on this movie. Yeah, like I agree. I do think the Foley is great. I do think that it is pretty like harsh because she gets thrown really fucking yeah, hard. Yeah, she does. She gets swung around that set. But I agree. I agree. And I see where you're coming from. Where like you're definitely going to pick the original over this. And because it's done in camera and because it was done with like a built 360 rotating set, like that's insane. So I see where you're coming from. But yeah, she dies in a pretty gruesome way. And then much like the original, Jesse just kind of is like, oh my God. She's useless. Yeah. And then just runs out the door, sets off the alarm, runs to Nancy's house. Why though? I don't know. I don't know. It didn't make any sense. I don't know. Sure. I think they were just trying to follow the same storyline as the first one, as the original, but it's not as organic as it is in the original because in the original, she's on her way to school and, you know, he finds her. Whatever. I digress. This movie's terrible. Moving on with this terrible movie. Jesse somehow makes his way into Nancy's room and attempts to explain what happened to Chris. He tells her that she knows what's going on. She talked about it at the funeral. He tells her not to fall asleep before jumping out the window. The police quickly corner him and haul him off to jail. The next day, Quentin falls asleep at the bookstore doing research on sleep deprivation. He has a nightmare about Freddie reading books to kids. Back at the Springwood County Jail, Jesse has made bail in his nightmare. Just as he's escorted out of his cell, he walks right into Freddie's boiler room. After a small cat and mouse game, Freddie kills him. Back at the bookstore, Quentin offers Nancy Zoderol, a fictional drug for kids with ADD. She declines because she's all Christian and shit. <laughs> after running through a few theories, Quentin tells her they're running out of time. After 72 hours of no sleep, they'll begin to experience micronaps, and then eventually lead to a coma. Later that night, Nancy confronts her mother and asks if there's any connection between her and the other victims. Maybe they went to school together. Her mother lies to her face and goes downstairs to call someone and warns them that Nancy is starting to remember. We get another recreated shot from the original with the arm coming up in the bathtub, as well as Nancy falling asleep and having another face-off with Freddy. Luckily, she's awakened from her nightmare by a phone call from Quentin informing her that Jesse is dead. She informs Quentin that she just had a nightmare about Freddy and his school. He grabs the last of his pills and heads to Nancy's. All right, Nancy is an artist. How fun. She's moody. Ew. Uh, He's... (laughs) He says that I didn't kill her when, sure, story beat, story beat, story beat. They catch him. Story beat, story beat, story beat. Nancy, Nancy, you know who did it! Story beat, story beat, story beat. (laughs) Essentially, it's so... Thank you. I felt bad writing these story beats because I was like, I'm bored writing these story beats. I did, I could barely like even write anything funny into the story beats because this movie is kind of boring. Mm-hmm. I think that's the worst sin about it. It's not that it's really, really awful, because it's, it's bad. But the worst sin is that it's boring. <laughs> we can stand bad movies. We can't stand boring bad movies. That's the worst part here, everybody. Oh, my God. So... All you really need to know is that Quentin is not using Google. He's using Giga Blast. Woo! And every time he clicks to search something, it says, Blast off! It goes, shh. Come on, pre-Google, Google. I love... Actually, it's not even pre-Google. It's just they couldn't use Google. They can't afford Google. I love when you have to use non-copyrighted search engines. Uh, I love a good research montage scene, except this one's in a coffee shop, not a library. Ooh, look, we're hip. Um... Ooh, the addition of micro-naps. This is new. I don't think it's real. Oh, yeah. Is micro-naps real? Sure. Okay. 
So micro naps after 72 hours of sleep, they begin to experience micro naps, essentially dreaming slash sleeping and not knowing that you are. This is great. This is creative. I enjoy this. It explains a lot of the stupid effects of like why are all of a sudden they're sleeping. Mm -hmm. It's a micro nap apparently. Okay, sure. I'll believe you it. You probably should also say that from the beginning, like when Chris is just aimlessly sleeping at the funeral because then you just think she's a bitch and she doesn't care. Oh, wait a minute. Bitches. I also do love this ticking time bomb of like, if we don't go to sleep, our body will force us to sleep. I think that's terrifying. AKA the coma. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great, I think it's great. It's not too much. It just like flourishes the original script just a little bit more. I think that's fine. Uh, it's also very on brand for Freddy as a character, not the actor. Freddy is the <laughs> character to make Jesse believe that he made Bale and then surprise him with the fact that he's and sleeping. And then you, you blow up. shady and then you blow up. Yes, that was good. Freddie does a good, enjoys a good chase scene, but I have to note, one of my favorite lines from the original was, Oh God, this is God. The line that they changed it to is, Oh God, no, just me. <laughs> that was so bad. It was it's so bad. So it's so cringeworthy bad. It is so I don't boo know. tomato tomato tomato. <laughs> I don't know if like they changed it or if Jackie decided to change it because he knew he wasn't gonna be able to deliver Freddie's iconic line the way Robert delivered it. I don't know. Regardless, it's just so it was a choice. But, but Jackie, everything, everybody in this movie is monotone. Nobody has levels, nobody has peaks and valleys, darling. Everybody is monotone. It's like everybody's taking hypnosol. They just cheated us! Jesus Christ, is everybody sleep deprived in this movie? Kinda, kind of, because the lines get worse. He even does, do you think you could turn back time? Share, love. Why are you screaming? I haven't even cut you yet. Please do, please slit my wrist and kill me now. Wow. Ice. But we get Jesse's death, which is just Freddy's arm straight through his chest. But what bugs me is that there's no buildup. There's just no bam, it's just, Beige. This whole movie is beige. Mm -hmm. This movie is beige. But we do get the line that I do think is neat is, Did you know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can well function for seven minutes? We got six more minutes to play. Yeah, that was pretty dope. If, you know, it's real. If Jackie that is real. Haley was a capable of delivering iconic lines in a, you know, fashionable manner, then yeah, that scene would have been great. <laughs> But unfortunately, he's not capable of delivering. You just killed a man. <laughs> Somebody had to, because clearly Jackie Earl Haley was not. Period. Period. Nope. It's just really boring, it was. guys. It was. It's really boring. And we watched it for you. Hold on. We do get the recreation of the bathroom shot. But once again, same thing, like the wall thing. It's just added in there. It doesn't make sense to your story. It adds nothing, mm -hmm. and it pales in comparison really really bad it was literally it this is another part where they're literally just recreating something that was iconic from the first movie for the sake of remaking it we when she does go into the dream world i do have to state the snow effect Ooh, is really fucking cool yeah that was cool i do agree the imagery is where this movie succeeds because even the cinematography in this movie is i will know is pretty good mm -hmm. it looks the nicest out of anything from the nightmare series but everything else just it, Everything else is just bad. But we get introduced to Badam 
uh, preschool. Oh, yes. uh-huh. We get introduced to that. We also start getting inklings of the connection between Nancy and Freddie. Uh, You're just a nightmare. That's right. No one could prove I was ever here. You're my number one. You're my little Nancy. <laughs> it sounds like your impersonation of Arnold Schwarzenegger in Batman and Robin. Chill. <laughs> no, Arnold's more back of the throat. Chill. Get chill. <laughs> and even Arnold had more fucking levels than Jackie Earl Haley did in this movie. It is It sounds horrible. really bad. But I want to skip really, really quickly bad. back because I agree that was great imagery of her stepping out of the bathroom into her bedroom that is covered in snow. That's how you know she's in the dream world. Fantastic imagery. And then from there, because in your dreams, like nothing makes sense. Like when you open one door, all of a sudden it leads to your school cafeteria. Sure, because it's a dream. None of it makes sense. So I love that. Um, I do not like Jackie Earl Haley and Descendants. I don't like Jackie Earl Haley, especially when he looks her. I did know, especially on this watch, this Freddy is far more sexual than any Freddy. Freddy does some sexual stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that time he was a sexy nurse. Like that time he tried to like, I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. <laughs> but it never felt this type of creepy sexual because we've officially gone into the sexual predator territory and it's icky i don't like it it. icky i don't know why they felt the need to develop freddy in this way because freddy was already terrifying and a horrific type of creature he kills kids like it's pretty bad i don't know know. maybe it was for shocking for shocking sake it was the late odds people were doing some pretty up shit for money they, they were they were writing some horrific stuff so I'll just chalk it up to the time period because it just it's just so mishandled it's so mishandled it, re- it really is back in Nancy's place her and Quentin discover an old school picture with all of them together including the dead victims Nancy demands answers from her mother and we head into a flashback at Baden preschool Gwen narrates our Kruger origin story about how he was a gardener at the school he lived in the basement and the kids were his whole life but then the parents started to notice marks on their kids and strange behaviors They finally get a confession out of them, but Kruger had left town already. Gwen explains that these nightmares are just repressed memories. Nancy isn't convinced and attempts to lead Quentin on a search for the other classmates, only they're stopped by Quentin's father. Nancy continues alone. She continues her online research on not Google, Google. only to discover several other classmates have also died under mysterious circumstances. Back with Quentin, he falls asleep during a swim meet and is filled in with more Freddy backstory. He gets a ringside seat to the outraged parents of the violated children chasing down Freddy to an abandoned warehouse where he is set ablaze with him inside. Quentin tracks down Nancy, and they both confront his dad about what happened. They interrogate him, asking if they confirm what they had said as kids. He says no, and the kids are disgusted, claiming that they killed an innocent man. Right. 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 The gaslighting. The gaslight. The gaslighting is ridiculous. This is where gaslighting was invented. Oh my god. (laughs) Time for more research, everybody. Another research scene. I don't know why they felt the need to do two research scenes in one movie. That is overkill. Even coming from somebody who loves a research montage. (laughs) Honestly. 
But we find out that everyone is connected by going to the same preschool. Essentially, all of these, somehow, all of these parents force their children to completely repress an elementary, like, a preschool experience. Whatever. They also, like, separated them all because they didn't meet again until high school, which meant they all had to go to, like, separate schools for... Uh, primary and middle schools. Why high school though? It, none of that. It's so parent trap. It's like the parents <laughs> separated their twins. Like and it then makes no sense. Also, what's with the name of the preschool? Why Badham? It's such a weird. To me, it's such a weird name. Am I the only one thinking that it's a weird name? It's an odd choice. I don't understand. I thought it was going to mean more, but it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't mean shit. Um, and then we learn about Fred Krueger's origin story, narrated by Connie Britton. <laughs> This could have gone somewhere, everybody. I really want to state that this was rich for, like, an interesting turn for Freddy. I really thought that we were going to. My biggest complaint with all of this is Connie Britton using verbiage that does not make sense to somebody who would want to protect her child, mm-hmm. especially from this experience. Because she goes on to state that, Fred Krueger, you, the kids were his life. <laughs> like, she actually experienced it like she knew. And then she also states at one point, like, matter of fact, she states, You, Nancy, were his favorite of all. Ew. That just, like, it boils my Ew. blood to to have to see that, see how it's stated. And then I don't like that once she's done telling this ridiculous, like, origin story... What I do love that we get that the parents killed Freddy. That 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 is well. No, she said that he ran out of town. Right. At this point. We, I, we haven't at this point in the it. story. We don't know that. But what bugs me is that once they learn this information, Quentin immediately drops oh, he, everything oh, as if he didn't. Jesus, ex- everything's explained. It's all wrapped up in a tidy little bow. It's just a trauma response. It's That's just so a gross trauma response. For, it's, for someone to like completely dismiss someone's trauma and feelings like that and be like, it's just repressed memories. You're just, it, just forget about it. Just, it's all in your head, girl. Besides the it's fact that I lied to you for years. Besides the fact that I gaslit you into thinking that none of this existed. And then once I do, once they do actually find out the information, it's like, you're, don't worry about it. It's, it's fine. It's fine. You're going to be fine. And it bothers me so much. The gaslighting becomes the gaslighters, becomes the gas lit, and then they gaslight themselves when they go to the <laughs> elementary school. I smell a star. Preschool. Preschool. Nancy's not buying it. She's like, no, there's got to be more to the story. Why would he keep coming back for us if, if that was it and he's still okay and he just ran out of town? So Nancy tells Quentin, let's get the fuck out of here. And they try and make a beeline to go do more research, probably at another coffee shop, when they're stopped by Quentin's dad. And he wants to be all goody two-shoes and listen to his dad. And he leaves Nancy to do the rest of the work on her own. And when he does, he goes to his little swim meet. And this is Nick's favorite scene. Because we get to see Quentin in a Speedo. He's so hot. Listen, I don't know what it is about hot, sad boys. Is it his oily hair? Is it the bags underneath his eyes? Is it the oily skin? Is it the freckles? I think it's the pasty skin for me. Um, I don't know what it is. Okay, just wa- wet, hot horror boys. It's just my thing, okay? G- uh, Lost Boys, uh, The Covenant, and this one. I don't know. Leave me alone. Show us your dick! The dr- turn into the dream, though, is incredibly sick. From being yeah. pulled from reality and then pulled underneath the water mm-hmm. and then re-emerging into this memory. Dope. Really fucking neat shit. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. 
I love it. I love seeing how Kruger came to be burned alive. Mm-hmm. I th- loved seeing how he got turned into the beast, that these parents were willing to commit homicide. This is good. Why did they have to ruin it? With child molestation charges. I don't know. It was a choice. <sighs> It was something that happened. I I have no other words for this. But I agree. It was something that happened. I agree. The flashback to it is great. And then Nancy is still back doing research. And she quickly finds out that the rest of the classmates have also died. um, Under mysterious ways in their sleep and whatnot. I do love this vlog. It's so early 2000s. Still makes sense today. I love the vlog. I hate that he doesn't get credited. Because this is a fantastic little beat. I think it's great. But, of course, after his nightmare and after he gets traumatized, then he's a believer. Fuck you. (laughs) Death to all of them. But I don't like that this not believing the victims, especially when they were kids, ploy that they're trying to do. Like, even them themselves are like, well, did you prove it? Did you prove that we were hurt as children? I don't like that. (laughs) I'm not a fan of not believing victims. That's really fucking gross. Believe victims, everybody, please. Mm -hmm. Because this movie tries to play with, it tries to add this added mystery for no fucking reason. This movie tries to play with this mystery of Kruger not only being a killer, but if Kruger deserves the right to kill and this mystery of him being a child predator. Like, why is that so important to this film? It's not serving the story, nor is it serving the scares. It's just adding to this original story that it hopes to make it darker. And it does, but it serves no true purpose. It was already scary as it was. You, it, am I just like no. complaining to complain sake? No, I agree 100%. And it doesn't help that the subject matter was completely mishandled. But I expect nothing less from a, a movie that was made in 2010. Very true. But we'll move on I said my piece on that whole matter even though it gets darker and worse (laughs) the duo take off in search of more answers after Nancy falls asleep to micro naps Quentin stops by the local pharmacy for his refill on kid friendly crack cocaine he has a hard time getting it refilled and Nancy is having a hard time staying awake so she runs inside She inevitably starts sleeping again and is attacked by Freddy in the middle of the tampon aisle. Nancy's wounds are pretty bad, so he takes her to the ER. Once they contact her mother, Gwen states, I just want her to be out of pain. The nurse talks her into signing a medical waiver, and when they go back to her room to retreat her, Nancy's gone. We catch up with Nancy and Quentin on the road, and he pulls over to shoot himself up with an EpiPen. As they continue to track to bat him, Quentin falls victim to a micronap and swerves off the road to avoid running over Freddy. They continue on foot and reach the abandoned preschool, still suffering from micro-naps, the pair make their way inside. They discover Freddy's old room in the basement and search for any incriminating evidence. Nancy uncovers a secret passageway leading to a hidden brick room. She says she's been there before, as we cut to flashbacks of her in there as a child. As she uncovers her trauma, Quentin uncovers a box full of incriminating Polaroids of Nancy. The kids cower in anger as they realize they were wrong. Kruger really did do those awful things. Okay, so we get more micro naps. This is it's really good. Some of my favorite stuff of the movie. I love when Quentin runs into the pharmacy to get the more kid friendly crack, and it's hilarious because he looks like he's coming off of a bender, and the pharmacist yeah, is like, does. "No." Um, but my favorite part is of Nancy being all. Cr- she looks haggard at this point, and she's in the car trying to stay awake. And this is a great scene where you just hear a. 
at the window and she turns to see what it is and Freddy immediately rips her out of the car and tosses her out and she wakes up and you realize it was a nightmare. It is sick. It is so well done. And then in order to wake herself up, what does she do? She does something that she can't do anymore because it doesn't exist. But she burns herself with a car <laughs> cigarette lighter, which doesn't exist anymore. Oh, that takes me back. <laughs> And then she makes her way into the pharmacy to go look for Quentin. And I love this part. She looks crazy. She's all sweaty. They both do. Sleep deprived. Her hair, stringy hair is in her face. And she's calling out for Quentin. And she's suffering from micronaps yet again. And the aisle slowly starts to turn and fade and look like the boiler room. And Freddy comes and slashes her ass. And she gets all bloody. It's dope. This is a great sequence. It's really sick. I love the phasing in and out between the aisles and the boiler room. I love the her the use of the song. Back fear. It's dream, dream, dream. Yes. We heard it again at the it, end. This is really well executed i really just want to give that credit because this movie has so many bad parts to it that when it does shine you're like oh my god that was good you're just (laughs) it's it it adds beautiful little flourishes when they get back on the road and they decide to get the heck out of there and get her to the er uh we meet the mom from halloween town everybody (gasps) oh my god she is the doctor that is the mom from halloween town Crossover we didn't know we needed. So happy it <laughs> happened. They end up breaking out of there after Connie Britton gets in there. We get another jump scare of her having Freddy's glove, all this wonderful good stuff. Quentin steals EpiPens and then injects himself with it just for the adrenaline rush. But still doesn't matter because he does suffer from a microma- another micro-nap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> we crash. Sure. Another micro-nap. Sure. We got to the school. Awesome. The- we get to the school, we get to explore it some more in its actuality, and then we find out about the secret cave. Uh, it wasn't necessary to add to the plot. The disturbing portions of the script are right here, and it doesn't have to be this. Like, why didn't it? I'm just going to stop saying it because I've already said it enough. Yeah. But it's the line, We were wrong. He's not after us because we lied. He's after us because we told the truth. That could have applied to a child killer. A kid could have gone missing, and they could have stated that it was Freddy. Like, did not have to go down this path. Mm -hmm. Especially once they find the incriminating evidence. And they find the Polaroids. Which, thank God, they did not show. Thank God they at least had the knowledge and understanding to not show that part. But still making them grapple with it and have to deal with it, I think it's just, it's too f***ing much. (laughs) But this is, like, one of the few parts... That they actually give good performances. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they did. They did. And it's probably because they were at the end of the shoot and they were like, please let it end. (laughs) But she ends up deciding we're going to pull Freddy back in from the dream world. I'm going to sleep on this disgusting, rancid, (laughs) nasty bed found in the secret cave and take a nap and bring him back into the world. Uh, once you grab the fucker, then we got him. You whack the fucker and we got him. Because she pulled a piece of his sweater through and ooh, she realized she could pull Freddy through. Yay. Sure. Yay, sure. God. All right, let's wrap this motherfucker up then. 
The teens devise a plan to pull Freddy into the real world using Nancy. Quentin is supposed to stand guard, but he inevitably falls asleep. Freddy quickly disposes of Quentin and focuses his sights on Nancy. He chases her from the boiler room back into her childhood home and even making her fall into a pit of blood. She falls through the pit, falling through to the other side and back onto her bed, now dressed as she was as a child. Back in the real world, Quentin comes to and awakens Nancy with an EpiPen shot to the chest. She's successful in pulling Freddy into the real world, and the trio have an ultimate face-off. After a couple of hard hits, Nancy manages to take him down with a paper cutter, chopping off his bladed hand first, and then finishing him off with a slice to the throat. Before they leave, they set the abandoned school ablaze to ensure Freddy's death. The teens are taken away in an ambulance, leaving behind nothing, not even a body, according to the firefighters. Later that night, when Nancy finally arrives back home, her mother instructs her to go straight to bed. When Nancy catches her mom's reflection in the mirror, it's that of Freddy Krueger. Nancy screams in horror as Freddy snatches up her mom and drags her back through the mirror. And our movie ends. Thank God. I know. Dream. So. Dream, 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 dream. That's the. I like that running motif throughout the movie. That was cool. And it was fun. But let's get into the dream world with Little Nancy. Not that you got me. What game do you want to play? Fuck you. Ooh, sounds fun. That's a little fast for me. Let's hang. I'm dry heaving. This is what I mean by, like, Freddy is too sexual in this movie. It's too much for me because he's already bad. He already looks like a thumb. He already sounds like he <laughs> broke his, like, trachea. He looked like Megan Fox's thumb. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> <laughs> she runs away. She goes through to this sick practical special effect of the hallway, and she falls through the floor. It's mm. a beautiful... See, this is how you do an homage to the original when she gets her foot stuck in the stairs, but do it better. Like This is how you do that. This is how you... Do it because this is done and then it's gone and it's gone away forever because he goes, How's this for wet dream? Ew. And she <laughs> falls through the she falls through the blood, which makes her fall out of the bed, which is an homage to the Johnny Depp thing, mm-hmm. and she falls into the dress that she wore as a child. Gross. Ew, Michelle. Oh, Jesus. Gross. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's where we're at. Um Oh, and he also called he also killed Quentin. Or at least he thinks he did. Oh, yeah. So, Oh, yeah. And then he disposes of Quentin. Sure. Yeah, because then... Men are terrible. Um, Freddy straddles Nancy and is, like, you know, trying to do the nasty. But Quentin comes through, stabs Nancy with an EpiPen, wakes her up. She's able to drag Freddy back to the real world. Welcome to my world, bitch! I love that they do a Pulp Fiction, like, homage, too. Like, I think that's so great. When he just Pulp stabs fiction. her in the chest dead. <gasps> oh, Uma Thurman <laughs> That was quite the stretch, Jackie. F*** off. I see it. I see them. But the character design of Freddy looks worse in the real world because there's light in the real world. So just, like, don't look at him directly. And <laughs> it's like a fine. drag queen. Don't look at them it, in natural light. Don't, <laughs> please don't. Uh, we get a fight that ensues in the real world. She slices him. It's a little too anticlimactic for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just, like, slices his neck and then he's dead. Yeah, she cuts off his hand, which is, okay, cool, yeah, I guess. And then she slices his neck, and then he's done. And And then she burns the skull to the ground, and nobody asks questions. I guess that's why, like, we have the quote, like, ending at the end, that Freddy isn't really dead, because this wasn't a satisfying kill. No, it was not a satisfying kill. Um, It wasn't even a satisfying fight. Like It It wasn't a satisfying movie! (laughs) 
so like this happens. Uh, police don't ask questions. The white people get away with it, mm-hmm. and as they do, she gets away. And Connie Britton. And I just have to know. I didn't talk about it the whole movie because I lo- I love Connie Britton. She does such a disservice to Nancy's mom from the original. Oh. Nancy's mom in the original was a drunk. She was a mess. She fought with Nancy during the day at breakfast She's you. time. You're her. <laughs> Like, it's just, it's not enough for me. There's not enough guilt for me. Agreed. A thousand percent agreed. And I just want to really jump back really quick when Connie or when they, when they finally get it out of uh, the mom that, you know, Freddie did these horrible things to her and she tries to deliver this line and I'm surprised that Connie didn't deliver. But she goes, I didn't want you. I didn't want you to remember. I didn't want you to have to go through your life with this memory. And I'm just like, when did the theater class let out? I'm telling you, it feels like they were running lines. The, it felt like the director was like, I need you guys all to deliver this as if the audience was dreaming and none of this makes sense. So it's just like. Not even. He just push, pushed record on rehearsals and calls it a day. Kinda. I don't know. I'm just not about it. The movie ends once Nancy gets back to the house after they think they killed Freddie, and we get a surprise kill of Connie Britton, just like the mom dies at the end of it, but it's just not as good. And, and the only reason I'm trying to get to this is I want to do the over blanket of... So we're at the end of the movie, and I want to know your final scores and how this movie kind of stacks up with the rest of the remake. Well. Wow. So first I'm going to give my final score. <laughs> I don't know... No, we have given this score before. I'm going to re- return it. It's that bad, y'all. I'm sorry. I'm not going to mince my words. I don't think I've ever given any of our movies this score before. You haven't. I'm going to return it. It's pretty fucking bad. There are nuggets of fun stuff in here that we've t- discussed. But those little inklings of goodness are not enough to outweigh all the disservices y'all did. Y'all disrespected Wes. Y'all disrespected Robert England. Y'all disrespected Nancy's mom. No, I've had enough. This is homophobic. <laughs> I fucking hate you. <laughs> How do you... Where does this lie for you in the this, remake? This lies like on the lower end of the spectrum. This is not done well. Not done well at all. No, just no. I I would live like if this were like out of a one to ten scale, I would probably give this like a two, maybe Oof. a th- maybe a three, maybe. Okay, what I, about I, you? I see where you're coming from. I'm also gonna I'm gonna ret- I'm gonna ret- I'm gonna return it. Ah! Um, I'm not gonna. I did rent this, but because I had to, because I did this <laughs> for y'all. I did this. You. I rented it so uh, you don't have to. The best way I can describe this movie is that it is aggressively bland. Oh. It is. <laughs> it's beige. It's beige. It wants to. What I think Friday the 13th did fantastically was that it understood the essence of those movies and just turned that up to 11. What this one tried to do was try to ground it and also add to more darkness to it, but it completely lost. The idea of Freddy, it completely lost the magicalism and the fantasy that is this movie. Granted, like you said, there are nuggets. The visual aspects of this movie are pretty fucking good. It's the core concepts that it fucks up. (laughs) 
So unfortunately, I'm returning it. And for me, where it Period. ranks in the scale of this is that it stands in my memory as something that I looked forward to. I was disappointed, and I still am disappointed in this movie now. But it is part of history. It is part of this remake. You have to get some of the good to get some of the pretty fucking bad. And this is and one this of those. And this was the bad. Do, <laughs> this is the bad. To, in order to lead to the good that was Evil Dead. We started with some really choppy ones to start us off with. But for next week in our exploration of the Shriekwolves-themed month, listeners, you are in for a doozy of a film. Let's all get into our RV as we travel through the desert to discuss the violent and brutal Wes Craven, Wes Craven remake, The Hills Have Eyes. <laughs> this one, I'm very excited and nervous to talk about. I, I didn't realize we picked two Wes Craven remakes. <laughs> we have a thing. A thing. I have a thing. I did not Craven. have a thing. <laughs> you can follow the queens on our Instagram at the Carpenter Queens. Our Twitter is at Carpenter Queens. My personal account is Nicholas Alexander Photography. And please go follow. We just released a little faux documentary film on our socials. So we hope you enjoy. Ooh, my personal account is at STFU Ray. We want to thank you all for listening to our big comeback. <laughs> Please. There's come on my back. Stay queer. Know that we love you. See y'all on the flip side, y'all. Bye, 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 bye. bye.